What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Today, I want to take you back to when I was in eighth grade. I was about 13 years old, and there we were on Christmas morning. We were gathered in my parents' living room off Bethlehem Road. And there we were. I always generally sleep in on Christmas morning. I'm not a a huge early riser on Christmas Day, that is. And um, so there we are, probably about 10.30 a.m., I don't know, give or take, about finally opening presents. And I'm sure my parents were frustrated with me because it took me forever to get out of bed. But there we were, gathered around this tree and opening up gifts. And I'm sure my Christmas list that year was a mile long, and it had stuff for baseball probably, had stuff for skateboarding, had stuff for basketball, and probably had video game stuff and all sorts of other things. And I began to open up these presents, and there was a drill. And then I opened up another present, and it was huge and heavy, and it was a bag full of tools. And I opened up another kind of large flat um, box, And it was a bunch of drill bits. And I looked to my parents and I said, is this a joke? (laughs) No, it was not a joke. And it was certainly nothing that I asked for for that year for Christmas. But I will assure you, it's the only gift that I still use to this day. And so it's probably the most memorable Christmas out of all the ones I had growing up. But I share that with you to say this. That, of course, today you might have gotten gifts and received gifts that you liked and some that you did not like. But today we look back and we honor the fact that God Almighty gave us the greatest gift. And that is Jesus, eternal life. And today, my friends, we know that Isaiah chapter 7 speaks about how one day the prophet said that a virgin, a young woman, would conceive who never knew a man intimately. And there in Bethlehem, we read about that fulfillment in Matthew chapter number one. And we read about that great prophecy in Isaiah nine about how his kingdom and his government will have no end. And he is the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the mighty God and the prince of peace. And we praise God for that. But we know today, my friends, that our savior, our Lord did not stay wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And we know that the first advent was much more than only about the birth. It was about the sinless life that we lived. And it was about the death that our Messiah would die. It was about how our Messiah would go into that grave and he would rise victoriously from the dead. And today on this Christmas morning, I'd like to preach the subject of this thought, the resurrection of the promised Messiah. And as I've been reiterating the last few weeks, The thought I want to engrave in our minds from this series is prophecy affirms Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. That is, when you study the Old Testament, whether it's Isaiah or Genesis or Psalms or wherever it is, that all looks to the cross. And when we read the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, we know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John summarizes the life and ministry of Jesus. But Acts, through the end, looks back to the cross and how God is using his people to deliver the good news of the gospel. And so the question I want to ask today is simply this. What does prophecy teach us about the resurrection of the Messiah? 
And today I want to just begin with this first of five thoughts. The Messiah would die as a sin offering. We looked at this last week when we talked about his death from Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, along with Psalm 22 and a few other places in the, in the Old Testament, we do discover that that great prediction that Messiah, Jesus, Christ, would die our death on the cross. And my friends, that news never, I, I never get tired of that news. And if you're here today and you are tired of hearing the news that Jesus died for the sins of this world, you need to wake up and read the word of God. Remember, John the Baptist is there in John chapter 1. He looks to Jesus and he says, Behold of God, which takes away the sin of the world. My friend, Jesus came to put an end to not just death and not just hell, but he came to put an end of sin and he became the sufficient sacrifice to appease the wrath of God the Father 2,000 years ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read that great resurrection chapter, but it says that he would die for sinners according to the scriptures. The list of references on the screen are not an exhaustive list of the times in scripture where it speaks about his death as a sin offering, but you're welcome to jot those things down. But we know also that after he died, he was taken and placed in a tomb that was not his own, in Joseph's tomb. Joseph was a very wealthy man, and there he allowed the Messiah to be buried. But the second thought I want to share with you is after they took him and placed him in that tomb, we know that was not the end. But the Messiah will be raised from the dead. In Psalm 16, the psalmist David writes and he says that you will not leave your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, he's saying you will not leave the Holy One of Israel to be placed in the grave. And it's interesting, in Acts chapter number 2, in verses 27 through 31, we read about this sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And when he's preaching, he's, he begins to quote David. And he speaks about, in the context of his sermon, how Psalm 16 is in reference to the Messiah, not just being dead, but being resurrected from the grave. And my friends, we serve a risen Savior today. Yes, he came in that stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But my friends, give God all the glory, honor, and praise. He rose victoriously from the dead to conquer our sins and to conquer death and to conquer hell. He went through hell on the cross for you and for me. He went through death on the cross for you and for me. And he was our sin offering so that we don't have to pay that debt. For God so loved the world, John writes, quoting Jesus, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Today, if you have that everlasting life, you ought to pause and just thank God that he saved you gloriously by his grace. There he was after the grave and those ladies come and they witness the empty tomb. They go and tell the news and they witness the resurrected Messiah. They tell the disciples and then for about 40 days, not each day, but for about 40 days, the Messiah would interact with the disciples and the people there. And the Bible speaks about how over 500 people saw him in his resurrected state. How's that for an eyewitness account? In a court of law, all you need is one witness. 
It could be a written witness. It could be a verbal witness. It could be a physical witness of somebody who saw what happened. But my friends, there is, there is no way a lawyer would try to deny the fact that Jesus rose from the grave because the amount of evidence is stacked. The Messiah would be raised from the dead. But then, thirdly, the Messiah would ascend to heaven. The Messiah would ascend to heaven. There are two Psalms I want to show you. You do not need to turn there, but if you are able to, you're welcome to. But Psalm 68 and verse 18, listen to these words. I was moved as I was meditating in these passages about the Messiah and prophecy. And another Psalm of David, Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts from men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And then in Psalm 110, another messianic psalm, it says this. Verse number one. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In Psalm 68 and Psalm 110, this is a unique reference speaking about how Jesus would ascend to the throne in heaven and there sit at the right hand of God the Father. And my friends, the ascension often is overlooked, but in Acts chapter 1, there they come to Jesus and they say, hey, when will you, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? He says, no. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has in store. And then as he... L- elevated out of the world, if you will. There the disciples, their gaze was fixed upon him as he ascended up, 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 up and away. There to be seen no more. Those angels most likely were there saying that he would in like manner return. So we know that he ascended up to glory, but we know that, that all of that is a symbol and a, and a reminder that Messiah would come again. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But, but the, the fourth thought I want to share with you is not just about how he ascended to glory, not just how he raised from the dead, not just how he was a sin offering, but, but listen to this. The Messiah would establish the second covenant. That's important for you and for me. To the best of my knowledge, I'm not Jewish. And probably to the best of your knowledge, maybe most likely neither are you, but maybe you would be. You just never know. But it's interesting The very first time God the Father gave the promise of the second covenant of the New Testament was not to a Gentile nation, was not to the Ninevites, was not to the Babylonians, was not to the Assyrians, was not to the Greeks, not to the Romans. It was to a prophet named Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, we read this amazing text about how God promised the nation of Israel that he would give them a new covenant. And he says in verse 31, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And he goes on to list all these different things about how he led these people out of Egypt. But I love the last part. It says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Remember in the wilderness journey and throughout all the Old Testament, Israel was was, was worshiping God one day and and for, for the rest of the days they were worshiping all these other pagan gods. But the beauty is, 
It's if we sincerely look to God and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sins. And if we sincerely repent of our sins, God will forgive us. And so today, my friend, there is hope for you. There is hope for this world that anybody who, who has lungs in their body, they can cry out to God and say, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is there preaching his great sermon on the Mount, on the Mount of Beatitudes. And he looks to these people. And he's, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. He said, I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And he came to establish the second covenant, the New Testament. But the fifth and final thought I want to share with you. Is Christmas time should remind us not just about the birth, not just about the death, not just about the resurrection, not just about the ascension, but it should also remind us of the sobering reality that Jesus will return as he said he would. Many, many years ago, back in the Babylonian captivity, God gave Daniel a vision in chapter 7. And there, as he gave him this vision, it was as if Daniel was, was transported into time. And there he witnessed and saw the Messiah, the Son of God, return. Same with Zechariah. And in Matthew chapter 24, we read that Jesus is there on the Mount of Olives. That, that, that amazing Mount of Olives overlooking the valley there to the Islamic Dome. And, and there, a, it's a big cemetery right there on the mountain because the Jewish people know that the Messiah, when he returns, he will raise the dead. And so they're prepared for it. But he says in Matthew 24, he says in John 14, and those angels, those two men in Acts chapter 1, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in Jude, quoting Enoch, the Messiah will return again. I don't know if you've ever heard of David Jeremiah, but listen to what he says about the return. He says, in the Old Testament, no less than 17 books mention Christ's return. The New Testament authors speak of it in 23 of the 27 books. Listen to this. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament refer to his return. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. You realize that there's more in the Bible about the second coming than there is about the birth of the Savior. While I think it's important that we emphasize the birth... I think it is just as important, if, if not maybe even more important, that we emphasize the, the, the Messiah who came the first time is the Messiah that's going to come a second time. And when he splits that eastern sky, he's not coming wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. He's not coming in a silent night. In fact, when he comes, he will be coming as a, as a, as a king riding his horse to destroy those in battle. And he will declare war amongst the unbelieving, unrepentant world. And he will not raise a weapon. He will not throw out a bomb. He will speak. And all will bow before his authority. There's a song that we sing. <clears throat> 
in our hymnals. And it's a Christmas song. And it says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born. My friends, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? If you do, say amen. Church, do you believe that that there is one true God who created this world by speaking into existence? If you believe that, say amen. If you believe that Jesus is God's promised Messiah, the Son of God, say amen. If you believe he was born of a virgin, say amen. If you believe that he lived a sinless life and did many miracles, say amen. If you believe that he died on the cross to pay for the sins of guilty sinners like you and me, say amen. If you believe that Jesus was placed in the borrowed tomb and rose again, say amen. And if you believe that he ascended up to high, uh, the highest heights in heaven and is going to come back to this earth, would you say amen? Amen. I love it, Sister Avonlea. It is easy to say amen right here in the chapel. And it is another way to say amen by going out into the world and living out the gospel and telling people about the risen Savior and how he will return again. So I urge you to go and tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born. Would you bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity this very day to worship you, to look back and honor your first advent and your birth. And Father, we pray that if there's somebody gathered here today who doesn't know you, or maybe somebody listening online who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, we ask that you would gloriously save them. And Father, we ask right now that you will bless us and that you'll help us each day for the remaining of this year and next year and the rest of our lives to live a lifestyle that reflects the good news of the gospel. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.